down and scream and demand anything from God. You know that? We just come to our loving Heavenly Father and we place our hearts and we place our loved ones in His hands and we know He will do what only He can do. Isn't that right? You know, as Martin was speaking and we were praying, you know, and just uh, take of it what you will. But as, as we were praying, Lord, you know, the, in my heart, I just saw us as a body of believers taking this child in our hands and placing her in his and, and knowing that he will do what is right because only he can do it. What, a, what, a, what an amazing God we serve. And nothing is too difficult for him. And um, we will rejoice and we will glorify, and he's go- glorify him for his goodness, won't we? Um, which, which brings me, um, look, we celebrate today um, because Lydia is in church with us today. What a, what a wonderful thing it is, you know. Um, um, I've never seen babies with so much hair. You know? They all come into, they all come into this world almost complete and ready to run you know and, and you look at their dad and he's been running since he stepped out of the womb I know that you know and, and, and he'll be running until he steps into glory and uh, so you guys um, God bless you and uh, uh, what, a, what a blessing let's pray father in heaven we just thank you awesome God for who you are and and just to know that you are the giver of life and you are the strength of life and you are the sustainer of life. And, and Lord, we just thank you that you are the one who in eternity past um, ordained the purpose of life. And we think of little Lydia, Lord, and we can only imagine in our own hearts and minds of the journey that you have before her. But Lord, we just entrust her to you and her family. And just thank you, Father, that the blessing that you pour out upon them right now will be a blessing that will be translated into the very steps and the very, the very, the very heart of this child, wherever you will take her. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name, for this wonderful gift. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Simone, look. <laughs> I... I, I, I... I firmly believe credit where credit's due. This is an amazing lady. Yeah, amazing lady. Um, I, uh, and also, just really quickly, I want to point someone out. Sarah Cowie, right there. She's worn a bright orange shirt this morning so that you can see her. Sarah is taking on the responsibility of looking after the, the meals and things where, wherever um, we can help families, especially when babies come along, particularly when babies come along. So if you, if you want to be on... Basically, if you want to get your name put on a list, is that right, where you, where you would love to be a part of this ministry... Um, please, yeah, please, please talk to Sarah. Um, she'll hang around a little bit after the service. Give her your contact details and um, and be a part of the blessing. Hey, thanks, Sarah. You can see the orange shirt, can't you? Yeah, yeah. All right. Um, so camp next week, family. If you haven't registered, please register. We've got to get uh, this all sorted out for um, obviously so that we are fed well and that we have a comfortable bed to sleep in. So let us know. Um, um, we've got to put that all together 
when, well, we're going to put that aspect of it together this week. So, um, best time? Well, I won't say that, but great time of the year. And we've got our long weekend back. Don't be discouraged by the weather report. I looked at it last night and it said, it said, it said, it said a, a chance of rain. Chance of rain. Chance of rain. You know what that means? You want the rain, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm praying that Perkins Beach will be... Yeah, so we've got some, because we've got some great things planned, so, and, uh, and it's a wonderful, wonderful, as Marty said, you know, as the body of believers, we need to take the opportunities that we get to get together, to express this love one to another, to edify one another, to build one another up so that we can be equipped to go into this world with this wonderful, wonderful testimony of God's love at work within his people, and camp is, is, is a great place to do it, so... So, and the other offer is, if money's your problem, you're having troubles financially, please don't let that stop you from joining us. Just let us know. We'll work it out. And um, so be blessed and be a part of the blessing. Um, if you positively cannot be there, church will be at camp on Sunday morning. Um, uh, so, how are we now? All right, let's, um, I don't know if I've missed anything. Um, so let's turn in our Bibles to Romans Chapter 8. Now, you're going to say, we've already been there. We're making our way through the book of Romans. But it, it, um, it, it was actually brought to my attention and um, that I'd, I'd missed a few passages as we made our way through. So, I mean, that's a slap on the wrist, isn't it? You know? So, and especially Romans chapter 8. Um, so if you will turn there with me, um, there's something I want to look at this morning. Could I please bother somebody for a glass of water? Are they used? They're good. They're good. Oh, a bottle. Thanks, Caleb. Yeah. So be praying for yeah. Be praying for Jim. He's um, he's not not doing well, and um, and those other names that you heard mentioned this morning. So we, I've said this repeatedly, Romans opens up by declaring the, um, well, the universal sinfulness of mankind. It reminds us that God gave us his commandments uh, so that we could realise or we could recognise that yes, we are sinners, every single one of us, and that we need a saviour. And then it introduces us to the perfect righteousness that is found in placing our faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ upon the cross of Calvary. He came. This is Romans' message. He came. God manifest in the flesh. That's who Jesus was. Divinity walking amongst us. He revealed God to us. You know, we've got those wonderful, so many wonderful verses that describe it. Romans, I'm sorry, of course, Hebrews in, in the first chapter says, God who at various times and in different ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets has in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir over all things, through whom also he has made the world. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of creation, the Bible tells us. No man has seen God at any time, the only begotten Son. He has declared him, the Bible says. He is the light of the world. 
He said it himself, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have light. And the light is that word, isn't it? How is Jesus described? In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. The word was God. And we're told that the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the only begotten son of the father, full of grace and truth. In Jesus, we discover who God is. In Jesus, we discover what God's purpose is for mankind and how we might be brought into that purpose. In Jesus, we discover that the creator God had made a way not just to know of him, because everybody knows of him, don't they? You know, the creation declares the reality of God's existence. Man is without excuse, we are told in the opening chapter of Romans. No, God has come and walked amongst us, not just to let us know about him, but that we might be forgiven and that we might be made righteous in him. We love those verses from 2 Corinthians chapter 5 where it says, For our sakes, for every single one of you in this room and every other human being that ever has walked on this planet, for our sakes, God made Jesus, his perfect son, the one who knew no sin. What did he make him? He made him to become sin for us that we might be what? Made the righteousness of God in him. And of course, we saw in the fourth chapter of Romans when we were there, that it told us that the righteousness that is required, you know what righteousness means, don't you? A right standing with God. A right standing with God. And apart from Christ, no man can stand in the presence of the living God. But in Christ, we are told that that righteousness, chapter 4, shall be imputed to us who believe in him, Jesus, that is, whom God raised up from the dead, who was delivered up for our offences, for our sins, and was raised up for our justification, to make us right. So Jesus came to reveal God and to fulfil a righteousness that no man in and of themselves can fulfil. Then to give that life that he lived and to remove our sin and to become for us our righteousness that we might one day enter into his divine presence. That's what this book is teaching us. And so Romans has been unfolding the wonderful salvation of imputed righteousness to those who place their faith in Jesus Christ. It's a salvation that brings peace to the heart, doesn't it, Christian? It's a salvation that brings peace to the heart. It's a salvation that brings security to your eternal soul. It is the place of total acceptance, regardless, regardless of our failings. Why? Because Jesus himself is our righteousness. I, I, it's horribly said, I know, but I've heard people say it. You know, the only way you're going to get into heaven is on the coattails of Jesus. And, and there's a sense to that it's true. Our righteousness is not found in our faith. It's not found in our actions. But Jesus alone, he has become our righteousness. The one who lived a righteous life. The one who bore our sin and has made us acceptable to God. That's what this book teaches us. Now what Paul does in these verses that I have missed in chapter 8 
is to contrast that wonderful eternal hope that, uh, that we have with the reality of human existence on this planet. That suddenly becomes a bummer, doesn't it? It suddenly does. You know, what does he say? This is what he says. I, I, I say that, but I'm here to tell you it's not. Because what does he say? He says, for I, verse 18. These are the verses I missed out when we were in this chapter. He says, for I consider... Are you all there? For I consider that the suffering of this present time is not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Don't you like those last words? With the glory that shall be revealed in us. Look, I read that. And then I think about me and I I think about us and I don't know what it is about us but we all too often seem to take far too much pleasure in lifting off the hardships and the sufferings of our experience in this life. You know, I stop and I wonder, what is it about the the bone-crushing, flesh-tearing details that we ingratiate ourselves to one another with? You know, Christians are good at that, isn't it? You know, this is how bad it was, this is how hard it was, or this is how bad it is, or this is how hard it is, and this is how dreary it looks in the future, and all this sort of stuff. And we're trying to ingratiate ourselves to one another by looking at the negatives of this human existence. Well, Paul here is saying, you forget about that. Why? Because it's not worthy to be mentioned. That word worthy carries the idea of it, of, of, of something weighing the same measure as. And he's saying, you can't even put all of that and measure it against what the glory that's going to be revealed within us. And when you read these verses, you must remember who is saying it. Who's saying it? This is the Apostle Paul speaking, right? You stop and think about his life when he was not being stoned when he was not being imprisoned, when he was not receiving 40 stripes, when he was not floating around in the sea after some shipwreck, when he was not being hunted down and thrown out of town or thrown again into prison. You know, I come to his closing words to the Galatian church, you know, and I hear from, he says this, this is a closing words to the Galatians church. He says, from, from now on, you say, let nobody trouble me because I bear the body in my body, the marks of Jesus Christ. He's saying, I've got scars. Oh yeah, I've got scars, but none of it can be compared with the coming glory. None of it. This is his ultimate conclusion of life. His ultimate conclusion of life. I mean, you can hear his thoughts, can't you? Can't you hear them? I've experienced much. I really have. And I've thought it through so very carefully. I've weighed it up, I've weighed it up, and I've weighed it up, and my conclusions have never changed. You know, two years before he wrote these words, he wrote to the Corinthian church, the believers at Corinth, and he said this. This is two years ago, right? He said, for our light afflictions, which is but for a moment, is doing something. It's working for us a far more exceeding weight of glory. You know, I I think about that and I just wonder, what had happened to that man in those two years? 
between writing to the Corinthians and writing to these words to the Romans. I wonder what had he been through in that period of time, you know? How many times had he been beaten? How many times had he been chased out of town? How many times had he been scourged? How many times had he been reviled and insulted and spat upon? How many times, you know? But then again, I go, well, it doesn't matter. It really, really doesn't matter because his tune hasn't changed. That's what I love. His tune hasn't changed. It doesn't matter what he's been through. It doesn't matter what he will go through. The sum total of it all is that it's not worthy to even be compared to the glory that is awaiting him. Look, I don't say these things, and I know Paul doesn't say these things, to try and minimalise anything that anybody is going through. But here's the truth. We have so very little understanding of what it is to suffer for Christ's sake. And we have even less understanding, I think, sometimes of what that suffering has the capacity to work within our lives. Here is a man, the Apostle Paul being held up as an example here, by the Holy Spirit. Here is a man whose hope of glory has only been intensified by those difficulties, by those sufferings. And by the same token, I'm not suggesting that a believer should now go run out and seek to suffer. For Christ's sake. I'm not a masochist by any terms. I like my comfort. I really do. You know, the suffering will come. That's part and parcel of the journey. But we're not here called because of these words to go out and seek it. But it's just this. And and I sat there thinking about this last night. It's just that we here in this nation and in this time, this age, this part of history, man, we're blessed, aren't we? We face so little hardship in our service for Christ that in light of what Paul says here, I sometimes wonder, I sometimes think that we even lose sight of glory. Why? Because our comfort, our hope is here. It's here in this experience, right? You know, I just wonder, I, I, I read some of those lyrics of those old songs that have been, been written in you know, in, in, in centuries before us. And, and I just wonder what struggle of, of suffering gave birth to some of those, those wonderful lyrics. What inspired, you know, what's that song? I'm going to lay down my sword and shield down by the riverside. You know, what happened in the heart of that person, whoever they were, that inspired that hope of glory? I'm going to lay down my sword and shield one day. I'm going to stick my short sword sorry, in the golden sand. I'm going to try on my long white robe. I'm going to put on my starry crown. I'm going to talk with the Prince of Peace one day. You know? I just wonder at times what transpired within that person's life to bring that ecstasy of joy and hope in song for things that are yet to be seen. Because so often, our light affliction so easily defeats us and stirs our heart not for a coming glory, But so often we find ourselves in this place of self-pity and discouragement. And our heart sings a different song very often, doesn't it? You know, what was it? What about me? 
it isn't fair. I've had enough and now I want my share. You know? Can't you see? I just want to live, but you take too much. You know? Oh, we sing this song. No, Christian, that's not our song. That's not our song. The eternal weight of glory is in our hearts. It's in our hearts. Well, what does that mean? What, what, what must then glory be like? Well, I can't tell you. But there's a hope planted in my heart and in your heart. You know, it is beyond hum- the human capacity of expression. Paul, it seems, himself was either by way of vision, as he describes in 2 Corinthians, caught or caught up, in, literally caught up into the, it says, the third heaven. Have you read that in 2 Corinthians chapter 12? He's speaking in the third person, but he's speaking about himself. And he says that he was caught up into the third heavens. He says, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know, but God knows, he says, And he says how he was caught up into paradise and he heard, please note this, he heard inexpressible words which it is not lawful for a man to utter. Or you could say it would be a crime for man to try and express the heavens with earthly words is what he was saying. Glory is inexpressible and that kind of gets me off the hook this morning of being able to tell you what it's like. But what we are told about, what we are told about glory is who we will be in glory what we will be like in glory. And you know often I wax not so lyrically about these things, but it's one of those subjects that I get lost in from time to time. I love what Paul said in Philippians chapter 3. He said, for our citizenship is where? Our citizenship is in heaven. He said, from which we eagerly wait for the Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will do what? He will transform our lowly bodies that we might be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able to subdue all things unto himself. You will be transformed. What is that like? Again, we have images. The prophet Daniel, speaking 600 years, 6th century BC, speaks of believers and he said they're shining like the brightness of the firmament, like the stars forever and forever in Daniel chapter 12. Which is very akin to how John described the resurrected Christ on the island of Patmos in Revelation chapter 1, isn't it? Remember those words? He says his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And that's again, that's exactly what Peter, John and James saw when, they were, when Jesus was transfigured before them on that mountain. Do you remember? It says his face shone like the sun and his clothing was as white as light. Think about that visitation, if you will, or that glimpse, if you will. It seems that the veil of his humanity was folded back to reveal his glory, which is certainly an incredible experience for the disciples, the three of them up on that mountain there. But also Jesus would speak of believers in that we would share in that glory in John chapter 17. And he's saying that we would share in that glory. He was speaking of the glory of his holiness, the glory that shone from his divine person. 
I want you to think about this. The glory that shone from his divine person in eternity past before he veiled himself in humanity and walked amongst us as a man. And John 17, that high priestly prayer of Jesus tells us we will experience that essence of who God is. It's coming our way. Are you, are you getting a sense? Are you getting a sense of what you are going to be like? I think it's important that we do. Our spirits, our spirits will be shrouded in a body of pure holy light. That's the best I can do. Of pure holy light. Paul quoting Isaiah in Ephesians chapter 5, he says, Awake you that sleep and arise from the dead, for Christ will give you light. Jesus speaking of the kingdom of heaven in Matthew chapter 13, in those kingdom parables said, Then the righteousness will shine forth. This is you. The righteousness will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has an ear, let him hear it. We need to hear this. We really need to hear this. We need to consider this. The glory of God and the glory of his saints shining in his likeness, flooding the heavens forever. Again, the best I can do. Can you experience anything like that on this planet? Can you attain to anything like that in this planet? And, and, and at the same token, by contrast, can the intensity of all that has been suffered for Christ's sake throughout the history of humanity, can that even begin to be compared to the eternal weight of glory that will be revealed in us? The answer is no. The answer is you can't get the scales out on that. And here's why Paul is saying this. He's saying this because if you, if we, if I, if we will hear and believe this, it will change our whole perspective on life. Regardless of the highs or the lows of pleasure or pain, it all pales by comparison. In fact, it shouldn't be put in comparison to the glory that's going to be revealed against or in, I should say, in you. If we hear it, if we believe it, it will cause us to lift up our gaze and see home. And see home. It doesn't mean Paul didn't struggle in his life. You know, it's at one point he said he, he despaired for life. He despaired of life. Another point he simply said, I just want to go home. But it's better that I'm here for you, you know. It's better I'm here for you. So here's the thing. The hope of home, the hope of heaven, the hope of glory that's going to be revealed in the child of God, especially in the example of Paul, so engulfed this man's being that he just strode through this existence. He just strode through it. Because the goal was set before him. And the goal was beyond anything he could begin to imagine for himself, knowing that what God has for him is so glorious. Stop and think on it, people. When we get up in the morning and we try to make this look good and we try to strengthen this thing 
And it becomes the be-all and the end-all of who I am. This identifies me. If I am strong enough, if I look good enough, I'm going to get through this world probably better than some people that don't look as good as me or as strong as me. I don't know. You don't say that. But hang on a minute. There's a psychology to that in this world. Isn't that right? It's how this world thinks. We don't live on that plane. No, 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 no. No, no, no. Hey, do you notice what else is going on in this passage? Have you ever read ahead? You know what else is going on in this passage all around us all the time? Let's move forward. Read this with me. Verse 18. Read that again. For I consider that the suffering of this present time is not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. That is what's going on all around us, all the time, right now. The entire creation. This is what he's saying. The entire creation is an eager audience waiting for us, for you, child of God, to come into your true glory, what God always intended you to experience. You know what it says? Eagerly waiting. It's that picture that is described to you someone that's standing on tippy toes and looking, or with a really stretched neck, you know, just constantly looking around the corner, waiting for the arrival of someone very important to them. The scripture says here that the creation itself cannot wait for us to come into our true glory. And why? Why is it such an eager audience? Well, read with me. It says, verse 20, For the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together unto now. What is this saying to us? It's saying when mankind fell into sin and corruption, the entire physical universe fell with him. And you know why that is? It's because the universe's purpose is connected to mankind. See, God didn't create the universe, step back, look at it, and think, ah, it needs something. He didn't look back and go, ah, I'll fill it up with little people that look like me. He didn't say that at all. No, no, no. It was created for us. It was created for mankind. So when we fell, it fell. You know, it was man's sin. We've got to own this. It was man's sin that put thorns on the rose bush. You know that, don't you? You know, it was man's sin that brought fear and violence into the animal world. It was man's original sin. And please note, original sin that brought flood and drought and earthquake and cyclone. You know, and today, man's sin, what does it continue to do? It continues to pollute the air that our planet breathes. It continues to pollute the oceans that our planet feeds upon. The whole of nature is testifying to the fact. But just as those who are in Christ will be delivered from our bodies of corruption, 
so too will, be, will creation be delivered. You know? It will be freed from the bondage of decay. Look, it goes without saying that every single one of us should and must do what we can do to protect our environment, right? But you know what? Shoot me if you want to. But this world is not going to be saved by tree huggers. It is not. This world is not going to be tr- saved by misguided teenage girls crying out, how dare you to our world leaders. It's not going to be saved by that. Creation's purpose and destiny is inseparable from the purpose and the destiny of the believer. And that means that this choking planet will only be saved by the same will only be saved by Jesus Christ. Just like you will only be saved by Jesus Christ. When we have been restored at his coming, so too will the creation. It is going to burst forth into life like you have never imagined. You know that? It's going to be incredible. It's going to be amazing. And the Bible is full of this expectation for the creation. Expectation for the creation on our behalf. You go back to Isaiah. Isaiah must have have blown his mind as God spoke through that prophet describing what the creation is going to become like. The deserts will blossom like the rose, he says in Isaiah chapter 35. He says, water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become pools. The thirsty ground will become bubbling springs. The lion will lie down with the lamb and none shall hurt or destroy in all of God's holy mountain. That's Isaiah 35, 36. You go through those places, Isaiah chapter 11. He's speaking about the glory of the creation being restored. Man's destiny and the creation are inextricably linked, which tells me, and I've said this so many times to you before, which tells me because it is so inextricably linked, that means you and I will one day, we will walk in Eden. Does that excite your hearts? We will walk in Eden when Christ returns and we are what we were meant to be. The creation will likewise become what it was meant to be for you and I and I can't wait nor can the creation it's a witness of expectancy and so I do digress don't I but in anticipation of that day we are told that the creation itself is groaning You know, we're told that one day the trees are going to be clapping their hands. You know that? That's that's an exciting thought, isn't it? But along with that creation, all right, I, I, I get lost there sometimes because we're also reminded again, along with that creation, we also groan, right? He says in verse 23, not only that, but we also have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly awaiting for the adoption, for the redemption of our bodies. We also, who have the first fruit of the Spirit, Paul says. Someone said this of that verse. He said, we have the first installment of the inconceivably great heritage that God has prepared for us. And that simply is that God has forgiven us of our sins. 
Our spirit has been made alive. And now God's spirit bears witness to my spirit. Do you know this? God's spirit is bearing witness to your spirit, child of God, that you are indeed a child of God. We are at peace with God. My spirit is redeemed, but I know too well my body is not. As you will likewise know. Let me say it again. Earlier, when I was talking about your spirit's future body shrouded in glory of God, was it foreign? Was it a terrifying thought as I said those things? Or was there something in you that went, yes? Was there something in you that went home? And was there something in you that was a groan for home? I hope it was, you know. A groan for home. It rhymes. I shouldn't do it again, should I? But we all groan, don't we? We all groan. We groan physically with pain. We, we groan in disappointment. We, we certainly groan in bereavement when we lose a loved one. You know, in my job, many of you know, but in my job I am constantly looking into the face of people who no matter how prepared they thought they were, at the death of a loved one, it just tears, it, it just rents their heart. And, and, and no words of comfort, no words said can comfort the inaudible groaning that says, it's just not meant to be this way. It's just not meant to be this way. I do not believe that you and I are wired for death. I just don't believe it. We were created for glory. You know? And we all groan. You know? And, and you know, I, st- I, I, stood in, I stood in my office this week with a fellow just looking at me and I could just see the emptiness in his eyes. His mother had just died. You know? And all my attempts to bring some form of comfort to this man, they, they couldn't reach it. Couldn't reach it. You know? Because here he is in this world. And suddenly, he's the top of the pile. All those that were before him, that were his strength, that were his inspiration, all those that showed him the way, suddenly they're gone. And for him forever... And nothing could comfort that loss, you know. Nothing could comfort that loss. It's not meant to be that way. That's why the scripture says we eagerly await the redemption of our bodies. What did Paul say to the Corinthians again? He said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he said, In this body, verse 2, in this body we groan earnestly to be clothed upon with our home, which is from heaven. The day is coming, people, when this old carcass will be laid down and the fullness of our salvation will be realized. I will experience, I'm done now, I will experience perpetual life without restriction of the dying body that seems to hold me up each and every single day. Look, I love life. Don't misunderstand me. I love life. I mean, if you were with me yesterday afternoon when I was um, at, at my, at Ez, with Ezra, you know, in, in the backyard with my grandson and like I'd done with, I've done with all of my grandchildren on the big trampoline running around in circles 
and bouncing around in circles and he was chasing me and I was chasing him. I love it. I love life. I love the life that God brings to us. But you know, every now and then I had to simply stop and sit on my bottom on the trampoline and he instantly looked up at me and said, Pop more. More. I love it, but I groan. And I think we're all the same. And if you're not groaning, well, I'm here to tell you, you will. You know? Yeah, there's a moment, but, there's, but beyond that, there's a moment of deliverance coming, isn't there? There's a moment of deliverance coming from this body of sin. Oh, wretched man that I am, who's going to deliver me? And certainly Paul was talking about the spiritual heart that, that, that was so corrupted by a fallen nature. But beyond that, there is a redemption of our body that is coming. It is coming. And you will stand in the presence of Jesus Christ knowing only what I can only call inexpressible glory, inexpressible joy that has always been coming. That's what Paul wants you to know. It's always been coming. What does he say? Look, these final verses. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly await for it with perseverance. Always remember this. And look, I know pastors are sick and tired of this quote, but it is a glorious quote. And we need to remember it. We need to remember it. If we have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, if we have accepted the righteousness that that avails to us through faith in him, if we believe, yes, that we are all sinners, every single one of us, and we need forgiveness... And we see Jesus as the only way to the Father, as he said. If we truly believe that, and we've fallen down upon our knees, forget about all the struggles of this life, forget about all the people that have wronged us, forget about all the people that we have wronged, forget about all our earthly desires, just realise if you don't get on your knees and ask for forgiveness, there's no glory for you. There's no heaven for you. But if we will... If we will, I can say to you with absolute assurance that quote, the best is yet to come. The best is always, always yet to come. Always. And only in Christ can we know that. Amen? Please understand. You thought that was the finish, didn't you? It was. But please understand, the Bible does not offer a hope that is a maybe. No, the hope that the Bible offers you is an absolute assurance. The best, the very best that can be experienced is God's glory. And I'll say it one last time. Child of God, it's coming your way faster than you know. So live expectantly in this hope of glory. It'll lift you out of the doldrums. It'll take your eyes from the struggles of this life. 
and it will equip you and it will give you strength to strive towards that prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Nothing will stop you from being all that God wants you to be. How wonderful is that? There is another groaning. I'll have to come look. See, I still haven't finished chapter 8. God bless you. Please, let's keep little Abby before the Lord. Let's remember one another. Let's gather at camp. Let's speak words of encouragement. Let's let the name of Jesus be upon our lips. Let's not be afraid to testify of just how wonderfully we are saved, no matter where we are, first in our homes, in our workplaces, in our, play, in our place of play, no matter where it is. Let Jesus be Lord. Amen? Amen. And, and please say hello, Lydia.